Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. I saw an awesome article yesterday. In the, uh, in the Wall Street Journal. And the headline was, Sports Have Become Video Games. The subheadline is, NFL teams are passing more, NBA teams are shooting more threes. That's probably the way you always played in video games. This article even says, for the Lakers, LeBron James spends a lot of time prepping on NBA 2K. LeBron James became familiar, it says, with the Lakers by playing with them on NBA 2K. He even taunted his opponent for slipping underneath a screen and daring Lonzo Ball to shoot. He didn't seem to mind his opponent was a computer. (laughs) Lots of NBA guys. And then this is interesting. Kyle Kuzma, obviously, on the Lakers, has become so serious about the craft of NBA 2K that he considers the hours he spends playing to be a form of high-level training. It's like a virtual simulation, Kuzma said. It's no different than pilots flying fake airplanes. That's amazing. How many of you regularly played video games? Let me go around the crew. I bet the answer is 100%. How many of you regularly played sports video games growing up, and how many of you still play now? I only play now with my kids. It's not like I can sit around and play on my own. My kids love it. They play Madden. They play FIFA. They play uh, you know all the games that all the kids are playing now, the Fortnites, Minecrafts, all of that. They love it. I'm fine with it because I used to play growing up too. Danny G, did you play video games? Do you still play? Yeah, played a lot of video games growing up and still play Madden. That's really the only video game that I still play. Do you buy into the idea 
that as our generation has grown up and started to take over different roles, that these video games have either consciously or subconsciously influenced the strategies that we adopt as adults. Hell yeah, they've definitely influenced everything we've done. In fact, it made me think of my cousin Chris in the Silicon Valley Growing up, when we would visit him, his mom would always be yelling at him because he would be locked in his room playing Zelda. (laughs) And he just, he was obsessed with Zelda. He would never leave. And his mom, my aunt, would yell at him like, what are you going to do with your life? (laughs) Well, he is a successful computer programmer right now in the Bay Area. So that's what he's going to do with his life. And a lot of kids are like that. Their entire life was influenced by the video game system that they played. So this doesn't surprise me one bit. Eddie Garcia, what about you? Do you think sports games have influence, like this article argues, that we've started to mirror the real game around the video game? By the way, not just uh, the the guys who grow up and become analytics people, but certainly the players. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's hard-pressed to say, like Steph Curry, the article starts off talking about how much Steph Curry loved playing NBA Jam. Um, and again, it's natural. They got all the data on it. What you do is shoot three-pointers, get to the rim. I mean, that's effectively the Warriors game plan, right? Uh, yes, definitely grew up playing video games. Uh, I still play the NHL video game occasionally. I used to love the college football game before Ed O'Bannon oh, killed that. Oh, that was that such was a, a great one. game. Yeah, that Blades was of Steel, one. Eddie. Did you Blade, play Blades, Blades of Steel? Blades of Steel is a oh, classic. Yeah, I love that game. Yeah, absolutely. When you played the game, you sort of naturally figured out what the best strategy to win was, and you weren't necessarily being influenced by what other people thought was the best strategy, right? Whereas for a long time in the NFL, it seems to me that things that certainly help your strategy, going forward on fourth down, going for two, uh, being more aggressive, running plays out of the shotgun, throwing the ball instead of running it, it took a long time for the NFL, which is a very conservative business. I think people are afraid of losing more than, they, more than they're willing to risk winning. In other words, I think there are a lot of people in coaching and I think this is something you have to fight, uh, certainly in their industry, who would rather lose a game doing what people expect than risk winning or losing a game by taking a difficult decision. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. We are happy to be joined now by SEC, Southeastern Conference, not uh, not the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, Commissioner Greg Sankey. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Greg Sankey, although I don't know if he checks his mentions now. Do you check your mentions at all uh, now that you are uh, constantly kind of in the line of fire as a uh, SEC commissioner, or do you just kind of ignore social media? Uh, I never do from uh, Saturday morning till Monday morning at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that I'll scroll through quickly, and it, it improves during the week. But uh, it's not—it's certainly not a guiding force in my life. My Twitter mentions. When uh, you watch college football now that we're into November, and you've got an early matchup already set, Alabama and Georgia, do you find yourself rooting for the best possible outcome for the SEC being? 11 and one Georgia against 12 and 0 Alabama? Now that the matchup is already set. Or do you just not even really try and think about what the best-case scenario is from a football perspective for the conference? I'm just kind of curious what your perspective is. This is relatively new where we've had a matchup set this early in November, and clearly Alabama's on a roll. Do you pay attention to that and root for the best matchup, or do you just kind of stay completely out of thinking about it? 
But as it relates to the matchup, it's the first time, it's the earliest we've ever had both teams set for the, for the SEC championship game. We've had one side or the other, but never both. Um, so we've, we've not had it this early, Clay. And whether it's week one, week seven, week 10, or week 13, you know, I, I literally look at how the, the games are uh, conducted, the competition. You want, you, you, want, you want to see highly competitive games managed properly. And that's really the focus. Whatever happens on the field happens on the field. And that seems like a trite expression, but uh, the realities of competition are when a Saturday kicks off in college football, we have no idea what may happen. And, and I'm one who doesn't have a rooting interest. As I joke with people, I have 14 favorite teams. Um, I'm curious in general, this past weekend you had uh, Georgia going on the road against Kentucky and you had Alabama going on the road against LSU. How did you spend Saturday? Two top ten matchups in the SEC airing on national television on CBS. How did you spend that Saturday? I started Saturday in Lexington, and I uh, was there for some visits uh, the night prior. And I was in Lexington through about halftime of the first game and hopped on a plane, flew down to Baton Rouge. We had one of those dreaded mechanical problems, so I arrived at the game about five minutes in. Uh, I think it was literally right when there was a substitution issue that was being announced by uh, the game referee. So I spent uh, spent days in two great venues, spent the day in two great venues, uh, both intense crowds and, and fun atmospheres, and obviously important games. You ever pinch yourself and say, "I can't believe I get to do this for a living"? Well, the the, the reality is, I don't attend games like everyone else attends games. For them, it's fun and a release, and maybe there's stress around competition. Uh, I do do that to a certain extent, in all honesty. It's usually during bowl season or NCAA tournament first and second rounds when, when the pinching occurs. The rest of it, you know, there's a little bit upon me that uh, draws my attention and creates some stress. Um, we and, and, and as part of that, like on Saturday, you have gotten and, – and I haven't even talked let – me, let me kind of pre- preface this for people who aren't familiar with the controversy – I haven't spent any time talking about it because I think the idea that a league office would be like conspiring to try to get a result that they want is crazy, right, in general. Um, Particularly when it's a team like Alabama that so far this year has been so dominant, even if you were trying to conspire to make Alabama win, it wouldn't be very worthwhile because they've won every game by 22 or more. They haven't had a close game yet. Yet the allegation has come out that you guys in the league office are somehow favoring Alabama. And so I think it's it's a crazy accusation, but I'm curious in general. First of all, how would you respond to that? Secondly, how do you decide as a commissioner when to address things that you think are patently absurd but may rise to the level where people are talking about them do you address them in any way? I, I don't know an easy answer, but I'm curious how you deal with right. both of those situations. Well, the, the notion of addressing uh, that type of conspiracy theory, you've, you've used words and adjectives and adverbs. There is really um, an inappropriateness or an absurdity on a more extreme language that people would identify that possibility. As I said earlier, I walk into a Saturday or uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday during men's basketball season, whatever it is, and want to see uh, fair competition. You want in, intense games in the right competitive environment, and that's exactly what we do. 
it, it is uh, nearly impossible to refute what is absurd. So the reality is it is entirely appropriate to debate whether a call is right or not. We, we have that every week. Uh, what is wrong, and we've had uh, any number of media uh, uh, personalities make comments uh, in that regard. Uh, one hopes they're tongue-in-cheek, but it's an entirely inappropriate observation because whether it's myself, uh, our staff, uh, our officials in every sport, we all work diligently to support fair competition. And uh, whatever happens on the field, whether there are mistakes, uh, there are a few of those, by the way, despite what people want to think. Uh, there may be disagreements. Uh, those things play out, and, and that's part of college football, college basketball, whatever the sport may be. We're talking to Southeastern Conference Commissioner Greg Sankey. How hard is it to figure out the targeting foul and whether or not there should be ejection, whether there should be a flag? Is that the most difficult call that you can remember, both officials and then administrators who are reviewing this across, I think, the NFL, I think certainly across all of college football? Can you remember a call that is more difficult to get right? There may be some arguments about pass interference. Uh, the reality of targeting is it's based in player safety, trying to take the delivery of a hit using the head out of the game or delivering a, a blow to a player's head out of the game. It is a well-intended rule as currently written. It is difficult to explain, though, and even when officiated, creates, when, it, when officiated properly, it, it's controversial. Uh, but we've lost somehow the, the reality that when targeting was introduced at the college level, it was we have to adjust around head hits, whether they're delivered or received. And what has been totally forgotten, it seems, this season is a little clause in the rule that says, when in doubt, it's a foul. So this notion of, well, it's close, it shouldn't have been targeting. Actually, if you say it's close or if there are officiating experts who disagree, by definition, it is targeting. The question is, do we have the rule right? Not necessarily is it administered properly, because we know it won't be perfect, but have we written a rule that can be officiated in the moment or, or using replay? And, and I think that's something that makes your question really important, Clay. And for those of us in college football, and frankly in professional football and high school football, we need to spend a bit more time analyzing the rule, looking at plays that are called or not called, the uh, old flag on the field and it stands, why did we make that decision, and see if there's some adjustments that can help us both explain the rule in a better way and officiate the rule and the game in a better way. I So what would your preference be? You've got a, a – the SEC is sitting right now at the uh, at the apex of college football. You guys and what you believe oftentimes can help to make that the rule – if they came to you and they said directly, Greg Sankey, what would you do to try to address targeting? Do you have an idea that you think makes sense? Do you think you're getting it right now? I have ideas. Um, I'm a little bit more skeptical of this level one, level two notion. Um, one of the analogies is when we had a face mask for five yards and a face mask with a personal foul for 15, the, the vast majority is they were five yarders because you can kind of bail yourself out. You can make the call without going all the way. We've taken care of that. So let's go to targeting. I think some of the language is relatively old and needs to be reviewed and updated. And what I mean by old is the rule was created prior to the current uh, manifestation of instant replay review. And so we've got better tools to administer the rule. So one of the instructions is 
when in doubt, it's a foul. So that puts a flag on the ground. And the messaging to officials has been, when in doubt, it's a foul, and we want a flag on the ground. I think that's the right message. Then we go to replay, and we say, you have to have uh, uh, clear video evidence to overturn the play. I'm not sure those two are philosophically in sync. So should we alter our review language to say it has to be clear and apparent to be upheld? That may seem like a little pivot, but it is still a significant pivot. And then we get to what causes the controversy, and that is those plays around the margin. I think we need to be careful about just saying let's change those, but I'm one who thinks we should be looking at uh, this when in doubt, and then let's get the core issues, and are there examples where we can say, look, here's the video over the last two, three, four, five years. Here's these uh, stands type of plays where, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Are those the kind of plays that we need to eliminate from the game? But understand, Clay, I think any change uh, changes behavior. So I can name any number of games where you see particular defensive backs, defensive linemen who adjust the level of their head. And that is the key message is don't go at the head. Don't raise yourself to tackle. Go into the the chest, avoid the head and neck area. Whatever changes we adopt, we want to make sure that message remains clear. We're talking to SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. As part of Saturday's festivities, the game going on between um, LSU and, and Alabama, and also Georgia on the road against Kentucky. You said you got to go to both of them. Uh, They were uh, definitely big wins for Alabama and for Georgia. SEC, uh, the the college game day show, was on at at ESPN from Baton Rouge. And I think we have audio. I want to play this for you. Uh, This is James Carville uh, going on the show before the game, and he said this. I'm sure you don't have many very strong feelings about what's happened with uh, with the targeting on, on Death no, no. Line here, do you? No, I don't have any strong feelings. Against the Tennessee's best defensive player was couldn't play against Alabama because of the SEC. Missouri's best defensive player couldn't play against Alabama because the SEC kicked him out. A&M's best defensive player couldn't play against Alabama because he was taken out. And now the best defensive player in the conference is not going to play the first half because he did nothing wrong. That's James Carville. He's getting everybody riled up uh, at LSU. And I'm curious on this in general. I don't know the answer, and I'll play uh, ESPN later apologized for the shirt that he was wearing and what he said. What did your phone do? I don't know if you were able to watch it. What do you think uh, about that segment in general? I was in Lexington uh, exercising. I was riding an exercise bike watching the show on my phone because I enjoy college game day generally, perhaps not that 30 seconds. <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, I was uh, I was disappointed uh, personally that um, those attacks and those comments and, and that type of, uh, I guess, apparel was was aired. Uh, part of the reality of this job is you have to bring your, you know, your big boy pants to work. So you're going to be criticized. And that's certainly fair. What's not fair is kind of the reckless observations about integrity impugning that of myself or those of our game officials and in fact uh, the facts that were shared in that segment were incorrect i was actually uh, more frustrated with what i considered an inadequate discussion of the targeting rule for instance no acknowledgement uh, in what followed that the rule says when in doubt uh, it's a foul 
Uh, and you can debate whether the call that created controversy was correct or incorrect. Clay, we have those nearly every week in college football and in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, what's disappointing is no one said, hey, let's wait a second, take a step back and observe. We're talking about uh, the safety of involved players. Uh, we're going to have debate. I thought um, on the SEC network earlier in the week, Greg McElroy and Marcus Spears uh, did a really good job of actually showing a bunch of highlights from Marcus's career at LSU. And Marcus at the end said, I'd have been called for targeting three or four times because the game has to change. That's why when we're dealing with something as serious as, as these issues around um, uh, the head uh, and the neck area and, and injuries that can come, uh, I think that uh, type of treatment wasn't what we certainly hope to see. So you're on the bike. I just, I'm, I'm always fascinated by this. You see, like, you are, uh, we have a good relationship. It's not a surprise to anybody who's listening right, right now. You love working at the SEC. But as a commissioner, you're not usually, like, somebody wearing a, t- a, a T-shirt saying, hey, you know, uh, kiss my ass, Greg Sankey, or whatever it said in, in, in French. And you're just there. I always think this is interesting. Before I get to your reaction, I always say, the first time that I remember feeling like I was a part of a story that I didn't anticipate being a part of a story was, this was probably a decade ago, I grew up a University of Tennessee fan. And so I would go on the message boards there and see, like, what's the latest on recruiting or, uh, uh, you know, what's the latest on, you know, the, the latest uh, uh, surrounding University of Tennessee. And I'd scroll down and just kind of see what people were talking about on the message boards. And I still remember the first time I just happened to look down and the headline was, Clay Travis is a huge ass, I hope he dies, or something like that, right? Like, that was the, the thread, and people were, like, debating something that I had said. And it was a strange feeling to feel like yourself is suddenly a part of the story because you're sitting there in an isolated situ- situation, like looking at your computer screen and people are debating what they think about you. Right. I imagine that same feeling in some ways for you. You're there on your bike getting a workout in the morning before big games. Next thing you know, James Carville, who helped get Bill Clinton elected, is ripping you and impugning you and wearing a T-shirt saying you need to kiss his ass. Like that had to be sort of a surreal moment, right? Well, I think stepping away from the moment, because I'm not, I don't want to give anyone else more 15 minutes of fame moments. Um, <laughs> the reality is, when I stepped into this job, you know, you mentioned my Twitter account. So I had a, a long debate with staff and myself, do you keep that? Because it can be a, a relatively toxic platform. But yet there's there's value in that. You understand uh, that you're subject to criticism, and everybody shouldn't be happy with me. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not doing the job well. And we're, we're going to have those moments. I think my, my representation to fans is you have to take a step back. There's a, there's a time, Clay, when my pulse rate used to jump up and my blood pressure would increase at moments. And I had a friend one time when a story hit Sports Illustrated years ago uh, when I was in a different role at the SEC asked, hey, does that really affect your day? I said, you know, over the first couple of years I was here, it would. And now, like, I'm watching that. My pulse rate doesn't increase. My blood pressure, other than the fact I'm working out, isn't altered. Uh, uh, there's a feeling in, in that circumstance of disappointment, but you accept the fact that there's criticism. And what we're going to do is focus on continuing what we've achieved, which is to make the Southeastern Conference as successful uh, as we possibly can in, in as many ways as we possibly are able. How good of a deal does CBS have to get your SEC Game of the Week right now? I mean, how good of a, how good of a package do you feel like you're putting out there on a week to week basis? Last week is a great example where you've got a double header featuring two top ten teams. They get the SEC title game. How good of a product do you think you're putting out there, and how fortunate do you think CBS is to have it? 
from the evaluation of product, I think we we present the most compelling college football games. There may be a few of our our colleagues who might have a game or two that rides close to our level. Uh, but I was looking at the TV ratings this morning. Obviously, the rating for uh, the Alabama LSU was significant. Uh, even earlier in the day, we had an uptick year to year, year over year comparison to the, the Georgia Kentucky game the previous week with Georgia Florida. And I could go through the list, you know, uh, Georgia at LSU, uh, Texas A&M and Alabama. Uh, and those are our CBS 3:30 Eastern window games or that, that one prime time appearance. And I know we bring great value to all of our broadcast partners, be it CBS and ESPN. Uh, I think you've written, and, and the reality is that uh, there's probably more value there than than uh, what we access. But we made a deal with our eyes wide open, and uh, we're working to prepare for the next opportunity to, to maximize uh, the revenue that flows. Because, again, I think we present the most compelling college football and i think in men's basketball this year you will see incredibly compelling games throughout the the southeastern conference season in january and february to give some context uh the alabama lsu games the most watched college football game of the year aired on cbs in prime time it almost equaled nearly exactly the number of people who watched the Dallas Cowboys play against the Tennessee Titans on Monday Night Football on ESPN. So that kind of contextualizes for people out there who may not really understand audience. How excited are you to eventually be able to see what the value of the SEC game of the week and the SEC title game might be? Yeah, my focus is on preparing for that opportunity. Um, again, our, our current partners, we went into these agreements uh, wide open, with our eyes wide open. We're going to support them appropriately. But I also look to the future and have had opportunities, Clay, over the last uh, year and a half, really two years, to visit with media leaders in all different settings, particularly those in this emerging technology group, just trying to understand uh, where they might be headed from a sports standpoint. You know, there's, there's a need for learning. And, and being sophisticated, uh, I expect soon you'll see um, uh, a public announcement from us about engaging with a media advisor, and that's a long look. So the fact that it's a ways off um, amps down the excitement. The fact that there is an opportunity uh, creates interest and is motivating us to repair even today. Last question for you. We're talking with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Uh, I know you've met with Tim Cook a couple of times. You mentioned kind of meeting with tech companies in general. What's the impact when a guy is an Auburn grad like Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, is, and you're going in to talk to him about something that he already loves? Potentially, maybe Apple wants to get involved down the road with the SEC. How much does that help where somebody's already a fan of the content that you guys are putting out? Well, the, we're, we're, we're all, uh, if you will, business people, regardless of our, our, our alma maters. And it almost gets back to the question about the conspiracy theories and, and treatment of teams. Uh, we all have responsibilities. So Tim has a responsibility to, to make wise decisions for uh, Apple, regardless of his alma mater. It, it was interesting, to, and I've had a couple of encounters with him sometimes around games, uh, to know that, that he cares, uh, which is great, that he cares about Auburn's football program. He pays attention uh, to uh, Auburn's entire athletics program. Um, and it's interesting because it's, it's not just Apple, but in new media companies. I've encountered SEC graduates in, in high-level positions with, with almost every one of these new, new and 
well, they're probably past emerging, right? When they're when they're at one trillion in value or, or more, <laughs> so they're not emerging companies. But these, uh, the, we'll say, trendier media opportunities all have SEC alums uh, highly placed. So each of those conversations is important and meaningful. Yet they're they're business people at the end of the day that want to make the right decisions for their circumstances. I know That's I said last I know I said last question, but I've actually got one more for you. Alabama through nine games has been as dominant as any college football team of all time. Does any part of you worry that Alabama's dominance could be bad for the SEC? I've been asked that over the years because they've, they're one of the teams that's been on a great run. The reality, Clay, though, is we've had five different teams over the last about 10, 12 years playing national championship games. You, know, you look at last year's national championship game that goes to overtime. Auburn was in our conference championship game against Georgia. Uh, this is almost the first time I've been asked the one-team conference question, which we're not. The level of competition, I think, in the SEC across the board is higher. When I look at other conferences, I can see where they uh, have one-team situations. Right now, we've got uh, an incredibly competitive conference, and, and Alabama on the West has distanced, distanced itself uh, and, and perhaps in a way from college football, but in any one of these games, uh, anything may happen from a competitive uh, outcome circumstance. I don't know if he'll read him, but you can find him on Twitter at Greg Sankey. Go follow him. I appreciate you starting your morning with us. And by the way, congratulations on the 30-year wedding anniversary. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Late last night, by the way, uh, let me go ahead and get uh, this news in here. It's obviously serious. We don't typically have that serious of a show. Uh, But late last night, many of you are waking up across the country and just becoming aware of this. And certainly this is something that uh, I've been following all morning. And I want to make sure all the evidence and and details were out. And it seems like a lot of that has has now uh, become uh, uh, true. Um, There was a shooting late last night in Thousand Oaks uh, outside of L.A., at a country uh, bar, country music uh, bar, where they played, and there are 13 people dead. Lots of college kids there um, in Thousand Oaks, California. The president just tweeted that it's 13 people, including the shooter. Uh, The gunman is dead. There were around 100 people at that uh, bar and uh, and restaurant, nightclub, whatever you want to call it, that, that specialized in country music. Um, and uh, there were around 100 people in there at the time. 13 people reportedly dead, including the first police officer who responded to the attack um, as, uh, as he was there to, uh, to try to confront the, uh, the gunman. So uh, this is a story that continues to happen far too often, again, outside of the Los Angeles uh, area uh, at this bar. Danny G, you said you've played at that bar before? You've been there before? Yeah, sure have several times. Uh, we have heavy hearts this morning. Lived in Thousand Oaks for several years, and Borderline is known as a place where they would let club promoters go in there and do different formats of music, so not just country. But last night was an 18 and over country bar event. So, And we're getting reports, too, that some of the, the, the youngsters that were in there also happened to be at the Vegas country concert which obviously had that really bad shooting. So if that's true, that is horrible. Can you uh, imagine sh- two of those in your two incidents yeah, like that no, in your life? No, I can't can't even remotely imagine. The borderline bar and grill again outside of Thousand Oaks. And here's the only thing that I say about this in general is that 
I have, obviously, we have a big uh, platform now. What I have pledged to do, and you'll see this happen every time this happens, is not make the shooter famous. The only thing I think media can do, and I think you guys can do it on your social media feeds and everything else, is not make the shooter famous. Lots of talk about how do we stop mass shootings from occurring. The number one reason why someone does a mass shooting is because they want the media to make them famous. They want to be on the front page of every newspaper. They want to be the lead story on every television broadcast. They want their image going out everywhere. They want to become famous because of their infamous act. I don't think we should give mass shooters that fame. So what I try to never do is mention any mass shooter's name. We'll do something, talk about the uh, the police officer who was the first to respond there probably on this show. Good chance that uh, that he listens uh, to the show or, uh, or, or is in the area uh, and has listened over the years. I mean, that's just commonplace in my experience. The number of police officers who are out and about that are listening to Sports Talk Radio is an ins- in- insanely high rate. Uh, but you don't give uh, attention and notoriety to crazy people behaving in a abhorrent fashion. So I would just encourage you guys, don't share this guy's information. Don't give him the goal with which he went into that place to do. And if we would consistently do that, I think that that would decrease the overall number of mass shooters because, according to studies, that is what they are after. They want to become famous for their infamy. Don't allow them to do so. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. We haven't gotten into a lot of an Animal Thunderdome this week. Got a bunch of stories stacked up. We did have... Uh, for everybody out there who may not have heard this, we did have uh, our uh, Indian tiger hunter, Nawab Shafaz Ali Khan, who called in with us. Was that on Monday or Tuesday? I can't even remember what day it was. Monday, I think, right? Monday. So it's on the podcast. I encourage you to go seek that out. We get a lot of questions about that. Uh, but let's uh, dive right in. I've got an incredible story here. I imagine there are several more. It's Animal Thunderdome, Thunderdome time, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, I'm going to start us off today because I saw this story and I said, my God, this is amazing. So what do you think of when you think of Kansas City? Maybe you think of ribs. Maybe you think of the Chiefs. Maybe you think of Patrick Mahomes. Maybe you think of Bo Jackson back in the day in those beautiful Kansas City Royal uniforms. Maybe you even think about the Kansas Jayhawks or the uh, good old Mizzou uh, Tigers. Maybe that's what you think about when you think about the area of Kansas City. I bet what you don't think about is seven-foot alligators living in jacuzzis. Yet that's what happened recently in Kansas City where uh, animal control workers showed up. They found two ball pythons, a rabbit, and also, by the way, a seven-foot alligator. The owner of the house was in the process of evicting a tenant when he showed up in the backyard, walked around, and found an alligator living in a hot tub. 
Sean Casey, the tenant, said the alligator's name was Catfish and that it was, quote, gentle as a puppy. The property owner called the city officials. They showed up, and uh, they had no idea what to do with the 200-pound alligator. They had to eventually have it relocated. Uh, The man says he's owned Catfish for about four years and, quote, he was a big, cuddly lizard. He smiled all of the time. Can you imagine walking into the backyard of a house, maybe even thinking about getting into a hot tub, and then there is a seven-foot alligator living there in Kansas City, Missouri? That is a ridiculous story in and of itself. By the way, Kansas City allows homeowners to have snakes and rabbits as pets, but not alligators, Uh, and the alligator will find a new home at the Monkey Island Rescue and Sanctuary in that area that is ridiculous also in kansas city as if that weren't enough two much smaller alligators were found in nearby kansas city communities as well absolute insanity alligator getting removed from a hot tub what you got for me danny g okay an employee sorting through donations at a goodwill store in fort worth texas made an unusual discovery you would have died clay This is what he found. I'm going to let uh, NBC5 from Dallas take it away here. Good morning to you, Deborah. The belief is that until very recently, that was someone's pet. And that it didn't just simply slither its way on into that building or into any one of the 38 Goodwill donation drop-off sites spread out across the area like this one in Arlington. Instead, the belief is that someone purposely put that python in with some clothes again either on purpose or somehow perhaps by accident however that happens and then it went from wherever that donation drop-off site is into that central sorting center where a woman found it yesterday on of all days her birthday but this snake was no present thankfully an assistant manager saved the day i'm the one that went and got james the loud knock on the door <laughs> and i just told him we needed him down here Immediately, we got a snake. Well, I hear a loud pounding on my office door. (laughs) And uh, Randy over here says, we need you right now. So we come over here and we see the snake, like as you see on the pictures, curled up on the the black bins that we have. And then uh, that's when we try to get our plan of action going. I don't know if I could work in that job ever again if I was going through, like, sorting through T-shirts and, like, donations for Goodwill and there was a python in there. It was Do you a, think a, that live, was, the a live boa constrictor. You should see the size of this thing. Do you think it was intentional, or is this another case of snake escaping, and they didn't know where the snake was, and, and they – no, like I, it's got to be intentional because the way you see it in the bin, they even included its water dish, and it's oh. – Yeah, it, so it was somebody just trying to dump it off and get rid of it. That's the way it looks to me, at least. Oh, my God. I would lose my mind if I opened up something and there was a snake in there. I, I just – I can't even – like, I would quit the job. I mean, I am tempted to leave my house if I found, like, a rattlesnake living in the yard. I'd be like, all right, we may have to sell this place. There's no way I would keep going through sorting things at Goodwill if I saw that happen. That's an unbelievable story. All right, and one more here for you, and there's some audio attached to this as well. A dare ran into a Walmart store, a buck, in Pennsylvania, and ended up locked inside the women's restroom. <laughs> How did that happen? I don't know, but Kaylin Brote, 20 years old, captured the video. 
She put it on social media. I'll let you hear her freaking out as she's watching this buck. Listen to this. So there's a buck up in the Walmart Supercenter. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. It's, it's going to run into Walmart again. Oh, my God. Oh, it's in Walmart. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Becky. Yeah, so apparently the confused dare was uh, banging on the windows of the store. Went inside, the manager tried to chase it away. Instead, witnesses said the dare ran up and down the aisles of the store before ending up locked in the bathroom, where it was then tranquilized and removed by the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Officials said uh, this past Tuesday that they did not have information on the ultimate fate of the young buck. Only in Walmart. Man. I, I uh, yeah, those are uh, those are pretty incredible uh, stories all around. Can you imagine? I, like I'm still so all of these are crazy stories. I, I am thinking more. I just can't get the idea out. First of all, whoever sent the snake to the the goodwill, like I think that should be a prosecutional prosecutable offense, right? Like if you do that, you are like th- that's not a good prank, right? Like I, I could easily see somebody having a heart attack when they open up that laundry hamper. And there's a massive boa constrictor in there. But the guy who's living with the alligator in his jacuzzi is like, that would be like my little, my boys, like dream scenario, <laughs> right? Like that seems like something that such a childlike decision to make. I've got a seven foot alligator. What are you going to do with him? Well, the jacuzzi's warm. I'll just let him live in the jacuzzi. Like that seems like the decision that I could imagine my eight year old making when we're down in Florida and we're like looking around, he's like, oh, look how cute this little baby alligator is. And then you just decide to let him live in your jacuzzi and keep it warm for him. Yeah. I'm just I, I'm blown away I, by the I, thought I, yeah. process here. I can't even imagine why you would want an alligator as a pet. I, I don't understand it either. Uh, but I mean, even from the perspective of also, how do you keep like a jacuzzi clean? If an alligator is living in there, does the alligator just climb in and out of the jacuzzi as he sees fit? Like, does he sun in the backyard on your deck? Like, I have so many questions about what living with a seven-foot alligator in the backyard would be like. And then, like, do you bring people over? Wouldn't I mean, wouldn't they be like, this is crazy, dude. You've got a seven-foot alligator living in the backyard? Like, I just, if you had kids, remember we had that story about that lizard that was running around in Florida that, that everybody was afraid of, and I said you had to kill it, and was controversial because people were like, oh, you can't kill an animal. Like, I don't understand how sometimes you make a decision and your friends don't say, yeah, dude, that's probably not a good decision. I could see how somebody starts with a baby alligator. The guy said he had it for four years, and then it just keeps growing, and you're in Kansas City, and you're like, man, I have no idea what to do with this. I don't know that I'll just keep him in the jacuzzi is probably the appropriate move there. But, man, those are uh, those are three pretty ridiculous stories. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. 